right, thanks a lot for stopping by. Glad to have this man back. He, of course, is a U.S. Senator from the great state of Kentucky. It is Dr. Rand Paul. Rand, how are you? Good to see you again. Very good. Thanks for having me. Hey, always a pleasure. I want to get into Nikki Haley. I wanted to get into this, the never-ending wars. I want to get into why it is that we're the police officer of the world. But I've got to start with our buddy, Dr. Fauci. Fauci, who lied to you in that Senate uh, hearing. Fauci, who lied to the American people about masks. He said that it would be silly if we all wore masks and then said we should all be wearing masks. He just recently, in the last week or two, Doc, he said, well, we didn't really have any science that said we should be six feet apart. Are you surprised by the fact that he made something up again? Oh, you know, I am just shocked that we, I thought we were told to follow the science. Yeah, and he is science. Out there wasn't any science, so maybe they should admit they were just all making it up on the fly. Really, if you analyze the things that Fauci said, he did tell the truth, but typically only when he was in private. So when he was asked in private, do masks work? He said, no, the pores are bigger than the virus. In all likelihood, they won't work. You know, right. they just don't stop the prevent and the spread of disease. So most of the things he was asking in private, he'd tell the truth, but in public, he almost always lied. The six-foot rule meant nothing. The mask ultimately weren't any good in controlling it. We've looked at the Cochrane analysis, looked at 78 randomized controlled studies. Masks don't work. They didn't prevent the disease. And really one of the most important things that a public official, a public health official should have been telling us is that uh, natural immunity is the most effective form of immunity. This yes. doesn't mean you don't get vaccinated. It doesn't mean that you... Uh, you know, discount or say, oh, I want to be infected. But once people are infected, you would let them know that they have some protection. And it's still the big lie that's being propagated. And the big bit of secrecy that we should uh, demand that they tell us is what happens if you've been vaccinated twice and you've had COVID twice? What are your chances of getting COVID again and going to the hospital or dying? I think it's pretty close to zero, but they won't tell us. None of their studies include the variable of infection. So if they're not going to tell us the truth, we don't have good information. Do we need a third vaccine, a fourth, a fifth? Or are we okay if we've already been sick a couple times? Is the disease now less virulent and we're not to succumb to it and we have enough natural immunity as well as vaccine immunity? But they have this data. They're just not producing it. And this makes me suspicious. Have they become salesmen for Big Pharma? They just want you to buy a vaccine and take it. Not, not that it's going to do you any good. And if it will, let's be honest with the data. But they're the ones who have now led people. And really telling you that your six-month-old needs three vaccines, it's just dishonest. It's not true. And there are some risks for younger people with the vaccine. So their dishonesty has caused most people, because the people are a lot smarter than the government gives us credit for. They just aren't buying their vaccine right now. And the vaccine manufacturers are whining, nobody will take our vaccine anymore. They want to force us somehow to get back in this mode again. It is uh, Senator Rand Paul. I'm so glad you went there. Just one one other question about the about the so-called vaccines. I'm not sure that they're really vaccines by the original definition, but whatever, we'll call them that. Um, they lied about you can't get it. If you get the vaccine, I mean, Rachel Maddow doesn't know anything from anything, but she said that on MSNBC that the COVID will stop with you. That wasn't true. But Walensky said it, and when somebody at the CDC says it, you go, well, wait a second. Maybe I should believe her. Then Fauci said it. Well, that's the NIH guy. We should probably b- believe him. Uh, doctor, were they lying? Did they not know the data? Did they make it up? Why would they say that it stopped and it was 100% effective? And they said that for a while. Biden said that as well. When there was no... T- Pfizer admits they never tested to see if it stopped the virus. It was always more important that the public submit. They were looking for submission. 
They were looking for universalism. They were looking for everybody to do the same thing. And maybe marginally, there might have been some improvement, but they really weren't giving you the facts. So when I asked Fauci this question directly, uh, he was indicating that your six-month and older children should have three vaccines. I said, does it reduce transmission? No. Does it reduce hospitalization or death? And he wouldn't answer the question, but he said, oh, we don't have the data. And my response to him, even back then, was, you do have the data. The death rate is virtually zero, and you don't change the death rate at all by giving three vaccines to a child. But there are some risks of a heart inflammation for adolescents, teens, boys, young people. And the risks, I think, actually outweigh the benefits. The only reason they approved the third vaccine in kids, they didn't prove that it reduced transmission, hospitalization, or death. They said your kid will make antibodies. My response to Fauci was, I can give your kid 100 of these vaccines. Your kid will make, vac- will make antibodies every time. That's a principle of immunology, but it doesn't mean your kid needs 100 vaccines. Right. If it doesn't help your kid, if your kid's already had COVID and your, the kids aren't dying from this, why would you want to do it, particularly when we don't know the long-term consequences of what really has still only been approved under experimental use and in the early days, there probably was logic and, and probably data that showed the older you were that there was benefits that outweighed the risk, but there never was enough data to say to young people that the benefits of the vaccine outweighed the risk of the vaccine for young people. It never was there, still isn't there, and because they won't come clean and they're not honest on this, it's led to this dramatic uh, uh, increase in skepticism and hesitancy among the public because the government just hasn't been honest about the vaccine. That's really all they had to do, doctor. All they had to do was be honest about it. And and the fact that they downplayed natural immunity, which many studies shows is much better than vaccine immunity. And if you have natural immunity, adding vaccine immunity might make the spike proteins go into an autoimmune thing. I mean, the whole deal was just not the truth. And all we wanted was transparency. (laughs) And you're right. Going forward, they would probably believe these people had they been uh, truthful from the beginning. There was probably no more dramatic expression of hypocrisy when somebody, and I love the internet because somebody found the 2004 interview of Anthony Fauci on C-SPAN, a mother right. calls in and says, my daughter's been really sick for two weeks. She's, she was sick for 14 days. She's had the flu. Does she need to take the vaccine? And Anthony Fauci actually on rare occasions has been honest in that unique time, way before the camera started rolling and way before his ego swelled to right. you know extraordinary size, he told the truth and said, no, There's no better inoculation. There's no better vaccination than having the disease itself. Your child does not need a vaccine. And, you know, that is the truth. It always has been the truth. And they quit saying it now because it becomes so in league. Realize that the NIH now got $400 million of profit for the vaccine. How can they be objective in telling us mandates and that we need to vaccinate our little children when they got $400 million from Moderna? for the vaccine. They share the patent. And you say, well, it should be fair. They helped create the patent, maybe, but they're they're conflicted now. They can't make an objective determination of whether you should be vaccinated. You know, somebody pays me $400 million and I work for one of these companies, then I'm not objective. Exactly and this right. is true of a lot of our former FDA commissioners. They now work for Big Pharma. They give these pronouncements and the mainstream TV will say, so-and-so, former FDA commissioner, they don't say so-and-so active board member of Pfizer. Right. You know, so this is the kind of stuff. Those people should not even be in the public debate. They should be completely excluded because if you make hundreds of thousands of dollars 
from Big Pharma, you're no longer objective. You're a shill. You're a salesman, but you are no longer a, a critical, uncol- unconflicted voice. I want to move on to government spending, but but you just opened the door here. Should uh, Are you a proponent of shutting the revolving door between government and Big Pharma? It seems to be there are a lot of people who've done that jump. Yeah, I, I'm for shutting the revolving door to most government posts. This would be the same for the military-industrial complex as well. People going in and out of these big corporations, they also do it from Congress. You'll notice that a lot of the staff positions that are either in intelligence or defense are people that go to the defense armaments industry, then they come back into Congress and then they back in. Right. And so, no, there's a, there's a lot of revolving doors up here, and we need more rules on that to try to prevent people from simply manipulating public policy to make more money for their friends. Paul.Senate.gov is the website. It's Senator Rand Paul. Let's talk about government funding. The House was given to the Republicans, and we the people said, purse strings, purse strings, purse strings. You guys have the leverage. You guys can stop the spending. And, and Rand, they haven't done so yet. Is it time for them to use that leverage we gave them? Without question. And the reason why they have no power of the purse and no guts is because they put everything into one ball. They call it an omnibus, and all the spending is in one bill. When you do that, if government shuts down, people lose their courage, and within days they've lost their courage and say, oh, whatever, and it gets passed. So spending is never cut. Now, if you actually did the job appropriately, you'd divide spending into 12 bills, you'd pass them one at a time, and we might not get everything we want on all 12 bills, but we'd fight each individual bill. And if a bill failed and passed a deadline, we'd simply hold it, and one-twelfth of government might shut down for a while. Right. And hopefully... We'd have enough courage if only one-twelfth of it shut down to force it through. For example, let's say we weren't going to win many battles with the Democrats controlling the Senate, but we picked a few that we wanted to pick. Let's say we picked the border, and we said, you know what? We're not going to let anybody else in. Now, we're not going to do this fake reform that they have in the Senate that McConnell's working on, the one where they let 5,000 illegal migrants in every day before they do anything. We're not going to do that. We're just going to say to the president, no mas. We're done. We don't want to let anybody else in for now. We're full. We'll take the legal immigrants and our work programs that we have, but we're not having more. We're not adding all the millions of migrants. The current reform they have in the Senate that's linked to the Ukraine money would let 1.825, 1.8 million migrants in every year before they started trying to slow the flood. Wow. It'd allow 1.8 million to come in. That is not reform. That's a sellout. It is uh, Senator Rand Paul. I couldn't agree more. Uh, What what always bothers me, Rand, is the fact that the House can simply pass a budget, pass all 12 of those bills that you're talking about, put them in the Senate, well, put it in the the lap of Schumer, and then make him take action. But instead, the House was off into their districts for six weeks, and in that time, Schumer passed something himself, this continuing resolution. And he said, look, the House is going to make the government shut down. The House literally doesn't understand its power, I believe, or this uniparty we keep hearing about really does exist. Which is it? The House doesn't utilize any of their power. It's not that they utilize some of the power of the person. They, they utilize zero. Unless you do the 12 bills, unless you hold firm, you utilize none of this. And so really, for the last decade, as long as I've been witnessing this, I've never seen a Republican House use their, utilize their power at all. They right. have. And Nancy still, Pelosi does it, and she did it very easily. The, the opposite happens. Spending yeah. continues and spending goes up, but I've not seen it used to try to restrain spending. So spending has been growing at alarming levels. Our debt is growing at alarming levels. And there's a danger that we destroy the dollar and actually could destroy our currency in the process. But I don't see the House. The House has to have the guts. 
And if the new speaker will have the guts and say, no, I won't do it, and he'll hold yeah. firm, ultimately you can't force the Democrats to accept what you want, but you could force them to come to the middle. So if Democrats want to increase spending 10% and Republicans want to, to keep it flat, it goes up 5%. But right. really what's been going on is it always goes up. We need to compromise. And I tell people this all the time. When I go home and people want money from the government. I say, sure, that's fine. We can find some money. What if we give you 95% of what we gave you last year? We're out of money. I know you want research for Alzheimer's, breast cancer, cancer, diabetes, all these things that right. are well-intentioned and we're a rich country we could help with. I say, what if we only had 95% and almost everybody looks at me, even the people receiving the money and say, well, that sounds pretty reasonable. Maybe we could fund it at 95% to try to get our, ba our, our government back into balance. Up here, that's a radical notion. Up here, it never goes down. And in fact, any kind of cut in Washington is usually a cut in the rate of increase. It's uh, Senator Rand Paul. Senator, do you know how much money and equipment we've sent to Ukraine, like exact dollar amount? And do you know uh, what they've done with it? About $110 billion so far. Some estimate a little more, a little less. But I know they're wanting to put $60 billion more in this next bill. And I think it makes us weaker. It threatens our national security because it threatens our dollar. If you threaten our dollar, you threaten our economy. And ultimately, there could be a calamity. I'm not talking about a slow decline of America. I'm talking about a calamity where the dollar loses value virtually overnight and foreigners say we're no longer buying your debt. Realize right now our budgetary process is less fiscally sound than most of Europe. Even the countries we think of as socialized are balancing their annual budget and are looking at their, their senior citizen pensions and trying to bring them within balance. We do nothing. And as our debt grows alarmingly large, there's going to be a point of no return where people just say, we're not going to buy your debt. And when that happens, you'll see skyrocketing interest rates to try to get people to buy our debt. But you will also see a loss of the purchasing power. And even now, you talk to young people and ask them how easy it is to buy a house. The prices of houses, some have gone up 20, 30, 40, 50 percent in the last couple of years. The right. price of food, the price of gasoline. It's hard to be middle class, and there are a lot of people being squeezed, but it comes from debt. It all comes from debt and government spending, and if we don't do something about it, we are threatening the foundation of our country. Do you know what has to happen for the money to stop and the equipment to stop from us to Ukraine? I'm not really sure why we're the big brother and the financier to begin with, but is there a solution? Okay, if this happens, then we can stop sending. Uh, it uh, has to be a vote of Congress. If Congress doesn't vote to send anymore, no more will go. Now, it is caught up in the border right now, so it's been slower. Right. Uh, Senator McConnell and others have wanted to send it months ago. They would have sent it without any restriction months ago. But it caught up in this border thing. But I'm really not willing to sell or to sell my soul and sell and give more money to Ukraine in exchange for fake border reform. Right. And so this isn't even going to be good border reform. It's going to end up being border reform that allows 1.8 million people to still come in illegally every year. And that's not reform. I appreciate you giving us the time today. I don't want to uh, be remiss and not bring up the presidential campaign. Big, big win for Donald Trump, 51% in Iowa, which was way more than anybody, anybody on the left ever thought would happen. Nikki Haley is the darling of the left for some reason and the Uniparty. Where are you on all this? I'm a Never Nikki. NeverNikki.net. Okay. If people go there, they can sign up to be part of the Never Nikki campaign. Uh, if she wins New Hampshire, there's a chance the mainstream media and the McConnell-Dick Cheney wing of the party could try to bring her along and make her the nominee. If she loses New Hampshire 
And then I think uh, she could get crushed in South Carolina. Then I think the race is over. So really what we're looking at is two more states, New Hampshire within a week. And I'm doing everything I can to make sure that people know that, at least from my perspective, Nikki Haley is from the McConnell, Dick Cheney wing of the party. Deficits don't matter. And they care more about the border of Ukraine than they care about our southern border. If, they, if that bothers you and you're worried about that and worried about deficits, you don't need to get anywhere near voting for Nikki Haley. Have you made an endorsement? I have not made an endorsement. I've thought okay. about it. Uh, I've thought long and hard about it. I still want to be a consistent voice for less spending and less debt. Right. And Republicans have had problems with debt as well. So have Democrats. So I'm going to stay out of the endorsement, I think, for now. But I've definitely decided I'm never Nikki because I think she'd be a, a very bad choice for Republicans. Well, I agree with you. I'm also never Nikki. She's a war hawk, and she's also somebody who's flip-flopped on some major issues for conservatives. Senator Rand Paul, U.S. Uh, Senator of the great state of Kentucky, thanks for making the time as always, Doc. Let's talk soon. Thank you. All right, brother. We're back after this. Stay right here. This is The Joe Pegg Show. to break it down with Senator Rand Paul. He's not endorsing anyone, but he's definitely never Nikki. <laughs> I found it to be pretty interesting. Also, I, I think he took Fauci to the woodshed in, in the entire big pharma sort of government collusion that went on with uh, with COVID. Uh, Gary, were you were you surprised? Were you stunned? I were was you shocked, shocked, amazed. Were you speechless? Um, all of those things. Uh, through the was whole it thing. incredible? Was it unbelievable? It was unbelievable. Was it must-see video? Incredible. You have to see this video. You have to. You must. I, I, listen, I had a lot of fun with Rand Paul, but yeah, if you miss what we're talking about before the interview, we talked about the the big, I, I, they're they're lying. It's not the most incredible thing <laughs> you've ever seen. It's not shocking and stunning. You're not going to be surprised. Well, maybe you'd be surprised by it, but there's always, there's some word that you've got to use to engender some sort of a an emotional reaction from the viewer to get them to click. Or you could just know that it's going to be pretty good content to click on it anyway. Going to do a break here. Next hour, it's going to be uh, U.S. Representative Chip Roy. Much more to come your way in the Joe Pag Show. Do not touch that dial. This is the Joe Pag Show.